Mr. and Miss America, it's Seth Sheen for Colony Confidential. Welcome to this outstanding podcast. You're going to learn a lot about business. This is Joey Buns, Colony Confidential. We are here today with Tommy Mello. You may have heard my interview on his podcast, the Home Service Expert Podcast. Tommy owns A1 Garage Doors. He has a book home service millionaire. The book is basically about how Tommy went from uh, being in debt to being a 30 million plus company. He's been involved in various other businesses. We're going to get into all of that today. Tommy, welcome. Thank you again for coming on. Hey, thank you. Very excited to be here. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. Tommy's out of Arizona. How many states are you in now? You know, we're going into Omaha, so that'll be number 14. That's awesome. So real quick, we always like to ask, how did you get started? When I was young, my dad had a transmission shop. And uh, when I was about seven, he lost the business. My mom and dad got a divorce. And I just remember money was always on my mind. So I got a job. I just shoveled snow and, and mowed lawns till I got to 12 years old. And then I got a job washing dishes, making $4.05 an hour under the table because I wasn't legally allowed to work. But my Buddy's dad had a friend that, um, or my buddy's dad had a, the friend was the owner of the bar. So he let me wash dishes in the back after school. So I just always wanted to not be able to ask my mom and dad for money a lot. I know they didn't have it after he lost the business. So I had that entrepreneur mind. Money was on my mind. And I said, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it. So I was, uh, got the opportunity to do some ride-alongs in the garage door industry and decided with a buddy of mine to start a garage door business. And before that, I was painting garage doors. That's how I got the idea to do it. You know, I could paint 10 doors in a day. They paid me 100 bucks per door. So I was making, after materials, about 900 bucks a day just on the weekend. And just hustling. And then uh, I just found out how much I love garage doors. It's 40% of your home's curb appeal. It's the smile of your home. It's the only thing that gives you 102% return on investment. And I am definitely passionate about them now. I, I, I love what we're doing. We've got 278 employees and we're starting to scale like it's nobody's business. And uh, I think it, we figured it out. We're gonna nail it and scale it at this point. When we spoke back in April, we touched on a lot of topics. COVID being the general topic that we, we spoke about. And at the time you, you unlike many other businesses, were making a push for COVID. And you had a lot of interesting things going on. One of the main things that I tell everybody about that I thought was genius that you were doing was that salesperson doing Zoom sales meetings with the Uber Eats being delivered. I thought that was great optimization of the, of the current situation with all things COVID. It was April, so it's been four or five months how that, how has that worked out for you? Is it still going? You know, yeah. I mean, we're 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 killing it with that program. We're getting a ton of introductions, picking up huge clients left and right. You see, we went through this whole pandemic, and it's it's almost like the Great Depression. It was almost like two thousand eight housing crisis. There's a lot of losers. There's a few winners, and the winners get big fast. And we had to be able to hire fast. We had to be able to handle more trucks from enterprise coming in. I mean. We were prepared and we upped our advertising when COVID hit, knowing everybody else was dropping out. And what we noticed was we got TV at a fifth of the price with five times the viewership. So that's five times five is 2,500% 
uh, we were just doing things that uh, most companies wouldn't do. And we, we took a couple calculated chances and it paid off. And now, I mean, we just got done with a morning meeting. It's an hour and a half long with, with two of them combined because we had um, our insurance company for health insurance explain a bunch of stuff. But we got done. I had breakfast for all the employees here. Uh, all the guys are getting their car wash right now. I got a car vehicle wash company that comes in and washes every week. It just seems like we're hitting on all cylinders. And I just signed a deal earlier to work on uh, some awesome stuff when it comes to door to door. No one thought door to door would work because I've got the lifetime value of a customer. You need me out once every seven years and I've got a low ticket average, but you know, also we get to put those stickers on the garage and the stickers when something goes wrong, that's who you're going to call. So we realized some things working with the store to door stuff. And uh, I know that's huge in the pest control. So I'm, I got to say COVID for us, we did everything we could in our power and it's turned out to be about a 300% increase. It's nuts how busy we are. That's amazing. It, uh, I mean, that's what it's all about. Just, just in case anybody didn't hear that podcast, the, uh, the Zoom meeting that Tommy was doing that I really liked was somebody on his team was obviously couldn't do face-to-face, so they were doing multiple breakfasts, multiple lunches, and multiple dinners, and having either Uber Eats or whatever else you might use, DoorDash, delivered, and that's how he was doing those face-to-face sales. One of the ways. I, I tell everybody about that, Tommy. It was just one of those things, our conversation, that piqued my interest and and was smart. And I do think a lot of people clammed up and got scared with COVID and you did the complete opposite. So, I mean, obviously why you're successful and will continue to be successful. Well, you know, the whole point behind that program, people are probably wondering Zoom, Uber Eats, what does that mean? So I do a lot of work with really high-end realtors that sell a lot of homes. I do a lot of work with property managers. I do a lot of work with affiliates, like people that paint houses. Why would you paint an old garage? So we reached out and we've created ways to do affiliate marketing and that get go after big clients. And you know, you look at a big custom builder that only wants wood overlay doors. We want to get a hold of them and say, listen, let us buy you lunch. Let's hear more about your company. Tell us what you like, what you don't like about who you're using. Let us tell you a little bit where the, you know, we don't make it about us. We really find out where the other companies can do better and say, just give us an opportunity on the next bid. Give us a shot. If anything else, use us on a job and keep us as your backup if you're super happy. But at least know that here's our processes, here's our technology, here's why we can compete. And here's why we we think, you know, Blue Ocean is, is you're gonna have a happier client of, of your home purchase if we do the work. And we've got access to other things that most people don't because of our size. So, you know, it, it's turned out to be crazy how much business we were picking up and that's that's business that keeps coming back those are huge clients you know i think about it like this you can spend a lot of money getting a ton of clients or you can go after the monster clients i got a guy that spends a million bucks a year with me if i pick up a hundred more of those that's a hundred million dollars and i'm making 15 percent off the top all day long and he's happy but i'm able to purchase a lot stronger so that's 15 million dollar business i could build just by 100 clients if you get the right hundred so I think it's pretty cool, the strategy, and it's been working very, very well. Did you ever find out that after you get to a certain size, the business is sort of like advertising itself? You, you find you go in areas where you didn't advertise just by word of mouth. Somebody had a friend or something, and I know that happened to me. That for a while, then, when you got to a certain size, 
the business was actually feeding you the leads. You, we didn't do any marketing in that area, but somebody mentioned something here and there. And um, it led us into another state and stuff like that. Did you find that? Yeah, you know, I think the main thing with me is is now I've got a strategy to go in and we do a lot of pay-per-click stuff like that. But then my organic, my reviews, everything starts taking place. Now we're getting a lot of referrals and I go in pretty heavy. I go in at about 20% marketing in a city and my goal is to get below 6%. And so, yeah, you start to get the word of mouth going now, just going straight in with the guys that I want to have in a city. I don't want like just seven or 12 or 15 guys. I want like at least 30 guys in a good size market. So I don't think I could ever stop some of my direct response, but I'll tell you what, the organic goes off the chain. The click-through rate goes off the chain. As the word starts to spread, as we are very, very good at what we do, uh, the organic traffic becomes intense and good. So, yeah, I agree with that. Well, I always tell people, I want you to tell your friends, your neighbors, and your family. We have a whole system we do to get great reviews and testimonials and videos online from, from our customers. So, yeah, it definitely works. Yeah. If you do a great job, it pays off. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I think that's right about going into a new market heavy on the advertising and then scaling back once you build the reputation. And we too believe in quality over quantity. Um, just going back real quick to what we were talking about with the pandemic, um, we are also talking about coping with the panic. So how did, you, how did you manage your team and keep everybody optimistic during COVID or the beginning of it? Yeah, that was tough. I mean, I'll tell you, I had to get with my managers for three hours. We have an executive team consisting of six people, including me. And we got together every day. We went on an Excel sheet. We put every department, every single employee, every single role. We rated them. We said we made certain assumptions. If we decrease this much, we got to do this. If we decrease this much, we have to do this. And we said, we're not going to make any layoffs until it really starts affecting. Well, what ended up happening is we took a, an opportunity to top grade a little bit less than five people. Um, and we lost the several apprentices because we weren't able to work in cities like Detroit. Um, but really the main thing that I think people need to understand is a true leader communicates well and lets them know everything's going to be okay. We're going to get through this work. We've got a plan and we're going to pull together as a team and no one wanted to leave. No one wanted unemployment. No one wanted to go, because they realized that we care, we're a family and we stuck together. So the main thing was they wanted to hear, I always tell people, I was on a plane probably about five years ago and I went through the worst turbulence. I mean, I'm on several flights a month and this one was like, it felt like we were dropping floors at a time. I mean, the drinks spilled everywhere. The lady with the cart was on the ground holding the cart and the lights were flickering. And the lady next to me was screaming and I go, oh my gosh. And I'm, I'm kind of saying a prayer. And the thing that didn't happen is the pilot didn't get on for 30 minutes after. I don't know if he was freaked out or, or he was just making sure the plane was okay. But if he would have just caught on right after it happened and said, guys, we went through a, a really nasty hot air pocket. And sorry, that was a lot of turbulence, but uh, we got to neutralize and the patterns look good. But he waited a half an hour. So we're all sitting there going, what the heck's going on? And that's the way I tell about the pandemic is if you're like that pilot that didn't want to get on and, and at least tell us what's going on, I mean, you're not doing anybody a favor. So we really communicated well, I think, is the, is the winning 
attitude towards something that like that that happens. Yeah, and I think communication is key. Um, similar with us during the beginning of the pandemic, I sent a video out to the team, just letting them know that we're here, we're essential. The same kind of just getting it across. And then you had Chris sending out messages every day. Yeah. So there was a lot of good information. Um, you told the truth, but you, you had a positive attitude about it. You didn't, you didn't lie about the COVID, but you had a positive attitude. You were, were assured that there was going to be a positive outcome. Right. We're still sure about that, right? Yeah, as long as, as, long, as, long as, as, long as you wear the mask and social distance. Yeah, and you guys just dealt with a heavy, a heavy bout of it. You're off our New York travel list now, so that's good in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Arizona's, um, we're doing really good. All considering what it did is it taught me, we did a whole case study. We wrote 85 pages about how our company handled it. Because I think it's important if we're ever to sell or, or distribute ownership of any way, I want people to understand exactly what went through our minds and our marketing and, and our, our HR, our recruiting, how we handled it, what we did with our, our leases in different cities, how we were able to, uh, you know, way before the PPP money was even discussed. So I think it was a pivotal time, pivotal time in A1 Garage Door's history of how we handled it. And I'm really proud of my team because we all pulled together and they were exceptional. They taught me, that they're with me, good or bad, no matter what, they're in it to win it. And that meant a lot to me. Sounds like, I mean, obviously you handled it well. That 85-page report, is that public somewhere? I haven't made it public, but if you come visit me, you could definitely read it. <laughs> I haven't made it public because some of the stuff's kind of intellectual property in there, but, but overall, I wouldn't mind sending it to you. That's awesome. I appreciate that. So you talk about possibly, you know, for if you were to sell or consolidate. In your industry, do you see a lot of mass consolidation? Pest control was crazy leading up to COVID with the huge companies buying for crazy multiples. Are you still seeing that or are you looking to do it? We're at this point, we are a, uh, we're a platform type company. We could, we could start to consume companies. I've done it a few times. I think the biggest problem is in my industry, it's very uneducated as far as how you sell your business. Typically in our business, you don't look at revenue, you look at EBITDA, it's earnings before interest, tax, appreciation, and appreciation. And basically what that means is we get some ad backs, we take the profit. So if I make a million dollars in revenue and, and I'm 20%, I made $200,000. And then I got some ad backs in there, so I get it to 270,000. Companies don't realize, but at that size, you're only worth two or three times EBITDA. And then, and then the next level up, when you've got 10 employees, you might be worth four or five times. And when you get to the point where you're at 30, 40 million, you could probably get eight times. As long as your margins are right, you're selling service agreements, you've got systems in place, and the business doesn't evolve around one person. It evolves around like 15 top leaders. So... The hard part of my industry is no one really understands how much their companies are worth. And sometimes they're like, well, when you take it over, think about the money it's going to do. I'm like, well, think about the work we have to do. So some people are trying to get 20 times their profit, which means it'll take me 20 years at their current rates. So a lot of people that are realistic, yes, I would absolutely purchase them. As long as they're mainly residential, I'll swallow them up left and right. In fact, next year I plan on buying out dozens of companies it's just getting the education out there. I'm going to be doing a lot of columnist writing and more of the garage store editorials. So my goal is just to educate 
the crap out of the industry in the next year to let them know that they could consolidate, but this is how they build the enterprise value of their company. If they want more, I'll give them more than they even could get from anywhere else, but they got to be realistic. And that's the biggest problem is most people aren't realistic. Yeah. And how, or sometimes in our case, sometimes they just outright lie to you. And oh yeah. I've seen that too. All they do is they look at the money and they, they sign the contract. And then all of a sudden you go to a customer, they paid three months in advance or I quit six months ago and you start deducting money from the monthly VIG and they start, Oh, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. Read the contract, buddy. I know you just looked at the cash, but you have to read the contract. So you got to build in a safety net for yourself while you're doing it. I'm sure you know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to it. And, and you got to take it really, really serious as you start buying bigger companies and paying more, like quality of earnings. You got to do audited financials by a, a prestigious company that's not just going to bend it in their favor like their own, their own uh, accountants. And I think that's one of the biggest problems in this industry is there's not a lot of really good operators that have a good hands on their books. And, you know, my last month closeout needs to be done by the 10th. So, you know, September 10th, I had July's numbers, uh, or I mean, August's numbers dialed in and we were able to see profitability. The big thing I look at is a balance sheet and income statement and a PL per market. And uh, we know where we needed to do some work. We knew where we needed to throw out some rewards. And if you were to come in my business today, I could have it ready to sell to you in the next week with audited financials that we just do for our own sake. So I, I'd hope that people listen to this podcast that there's one thing they could get out of it is invest in financial education, understand what these statements mean because they're the lifeblood of your company and understand what key performance indicator are that run your business and make sure you've got a good CRM and good data integrity to be able to know what's going on because I the lights were on, but nobody was home for my business for a long time because I didn't understand these statements. And once I learned and got the right people in the right positions and hired around my weaknesses, I was able to grow leaps and bounds. And now, I mean, my goal next year is 150 million and people say that's not possible, but I, we got a machine. We've recruited 40 guys are coming in next month. We're, 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 we're growing now at a really, really fast rate. If you look at Subway, it took them 25 years to get their second store. Now they're larger than McDonald's. If you look at a company like KFC, they're opening a new store every eight hours. So it really is about system standby operating procedures. It's about checklists. It's about inspecting what you expect. And if you do it properly, your company, I believe, are going to be the largest garage door by far, by far in North America. I don't think there's the second person is going to be in the fetal stages compared to us because we set it up to grow a machine. And the employees are just amazing. The people that are coming on are just, they're mind-blowingly phenomenal people. They always have a smile. They're optimistic. The culture is amazing. We, every time we give back to them, it's like it comes back 10 times fold. In fact, all day today, all the guys are going to feed the homeless. That's their whole day. All the new guys that are training, part of their monthly training is one day going and feeding the homeless. So it's going to be um, a really fun day for us. Definitely. It's about building your company culture, for sure. And that helps with the growth. But it's funny what you said about educating people on finances of their business and everything like that. And I agree with you. In, in pest control, the larger companies are dialed in and they're getting anywhere between one and a half to three times annual revenue. And then you get a smaller company under a million dollars that expects the same thing. 
And it, it's just not there. For the same reason that you said that you have to do all that work when you go in. And plus, they, they didn't build their business right. They built it on their own backs instead of realizing what it would cost to run one day. Um, so, so that, for us, we've been trying to purchase businesses, but they're just unrealistic. So I, education is the goal, which is also part of this podcast, is educating everybody, like you said. Uh, same as you, our date is like the, the 12th of every month to have our numbers all dialed in um, and to know what last month was and what the profitability was. And I agree, the key is understanding that because you could have all this data, right? We are in the age of data and technology, but having it and understanding it are certainly two different things. Oh yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we've got the unfair advantage of the technology we use. I've had 500 applicants come in on Saturday and Sunday of this week. I used to think that there's certain people in the company that without them, we built the company that without me, the company runs perfectly. Without my COO, without my marketing. The reason why people are willing to pay a lot more for a company of our size is because if I leave, my COO is gone, my CFO is gone, my two main managers are gone, which all five of us have been gone together for weeks at a time uh, visiting other companies. And our company runs perfectly. And I think that's what the difference is, is I had a guy come in who actually co one of the co-authors out of the 12 co-authors in my book, the home service millionaire that you mentioned, he, Al Levy wrote a section all about manuals and standard operating procedures and, and making sure you've got an org chart and let the company run without you. And that's how you know you have something special. And that's the first day I knew I made it is when I was out of town for a month. Two things happened. I was out of town for a month. And we set a record month when I wasn't there and I was not on the phone all day, every day. Number one. Number two is when the check came. And I love this story because the check came and I think I was in at this time, Hawaii. And the bill was really, really expensive, but I didn't even look at the check presenter. I just put my card in there. And afterwards, I didn't realize that I didn't look until I thought back about it. And I knew at that point, it didn't matter anymore. The money was coming in so great without me having to work while I slept that we'd built something super special. And I think that's important is if you were to leave your business for four weeks and you can't call back home, we're going to Florida, I'm paying for a volcano tours, I'm paying for all the dolphins, you got the alcohol, everything, I'm paying for everything. How does your business look when you get back? That's my question. Right, well, it's gotta look the same with you just going in and saying hello to everybody. I agree with you. I've been in the process of building that we are not as large as you, but I probably could leave for a month. I just mentally am not prepared for it yet, but I, I've had the same epiphany where I went away for a week or two and turned my phone off and came back. And guess what? Everything was great. So well, I, I a lot of times the owner gets in the way, believe it or not. <laughs> yes. So it's funny. I, uh, and we may have spoken about this. I share an office with my director of operations and that has, that's got to go. I, he needs, I can't be there. I can't overhear his conversations and chime in because I do hinder his ability to get done what he needs to get done. Um, so I'm in the, we're in the process of trying to find, it's funny cause he's keeping the big office and I'm going into a closet probably. <laughs> but, but that's what has to happen because I, we both recognize that and it, it took some painful conversations for me to be like, I, I gotta, I gotta get out of your way. And I think that might've been what you were talking about when you said hiring around 
your weaknesses. If I'm, I mean, I may be off on that, but. Oh, no, I, you know, one of the things I figured out was I'm really, really quite a poor operator compared to my marketing and sales skills. I've had to really work and beef those up. Um, I had to become a better communicator, but most importantly, I hired an executive assistant who's much better at time management and organization than I'm. So she allows me to get my full potential 10 times what I could normally do. For example, this podcast, she had it all up ready to go. And um, she tells me where I need to be and when I need to be there to make sure I'm prepared. And I'll tell you what, I become the best version of myself by hiring around my weaknesses and getting people that enjoy what they do that I hate to do. Like, I don't want to live in a pivot table in Excel all day at a desk, but I don't mind the results of going over those and saying, wow, this is really useful information that I could coach on. So I get to live where I love to live and I get to get people all around me that love where they live. And we learn how to do performance pay in almost every aspect of this company. So when I, when I realized, I used to get so upset when, when I'd have an hourly person come in and I, they've been here for a year, so I'd have to give them a raise. And now it's all performance pay. So I've got CSRs answering calls making 22, 37, 21, 28. And then I also have ones making 12 because it's either or minimum wage or performance pay. It's not and. And now I'm excited when they make money because they earned it. And I'm excited when a guy that's somewhat commissioned, but I still call it performance pay because there's other factors we look at. When they make lots of money, I get excited. So I said, how do I design a performance pay for every single role in the company that I jump up for, for joy when they, when they get a big check? So we've done a pretty good job of that, that if we don't have business coming in, it's hard for anybody to make money and I'm losing money and everybody feels the pain in their pocketbook, just like I do. And when we're all winning together, they feel the excitement because they're making good money. We're doing fun things. So I think that that's super, super important to build the infrastructure and pay grades to, to have a win-win situation on performance. You talked about SOPs and manuals. Um, where, where do you start? Well, you know, I started, what you start with for me is the CSRs, the technicians, and the dispatchers. That's kind of your triangle of communication. Those three people need to get along and work well. The dispatcher is kind of the conduit between someone booking the calls and the technicians. Now, I like to separate the roles because the best CRMs, the customer relationship management systems, the software you run, are built to have separate roles. One person is supposed to maximize drive time. The other person is supposed to book the phone call and make sure it's set up for success. And, uh, you know, my, my, my dispatchers are focused on capacity. So they're focused on making sure we're stretching out the day. We're getting as much big clients in the right guy's hands, making sure the right person is going to the right job and reducing drive time. And, and then the, the CSRs are focused on a few things. Uh, we pay them on their booking rate. We pay them on their optimism and kind of uh, enthusiasm on the phone. We, we rate them on their data accuracy as far as making sure they got the right phone number and address and it's not street instead of drive. We focus on tardiness, on, especially on Monday, Tuesdays, and that's how they get paid their pay grade. So I guess the best place to start is first establish some rules. You know, first, everything that 80% of what they do needs to be in a written down book. And I've got, I've got 31 manuals right now. And the way they start out is, the A1G's processes, how you do this, 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 and the other. 80% uh, of their day, I tell people, listen, the manuals are how you play the game. 
the key performance indicators are what the score is. And if we, if you know how to win and you're competitive and you want to win, you're going to make a lot of money. If you think you're not an A player and you really would rather have just a salary or hourly, then this company's not for you. But if you want to come in and make a lot of money and you feel like you're a winner and you're competitive and you've got passion and drive to move up to the top, you're going to make more money than you've ever made. But what I've noticed is one A player equals three B players. And the crazy thing about this is this is what's nuts to me. Listen to this math. I'll do it real quick. You got two CSRs answering calls. One of them's booking 60%. The other one's booking at 90%. They each take 20 calls a day. The average ticket is $500. Now they work 300 days out of the year. The CSR at 60% lost you. It's darn near $900,000, almost a million dollars. So just by getting someone that books, the, the industry average of home service is 42%. So I took 60 and 90. My average CSR is at 92% of opportunities and people don't think that's possible. But if you saw my systems and how they get paid, you'd, you'd understand that they make follow-up calls, they write down, they, they beg, plead, they offer whatever they have to to get us out there and create an opportunity. And we're very, very well trained. And each of them have a mirror, they smile on the phone. There's so many things that we're working on all the time in each department that we've got an unfair advantage and they get to make great money. Literally for my top gal could do more than five at other companies. So she makes amazing money, but in the scheme of things, A players breed other A players. And uh, I feel like we stack the deck and it's, it's the unfair advantage. 92%, that's crazy. So you said how you did it. The, the biggest question that we get is when, like, did you do it when you first started? Did you begin with the processes or did you have that epiphany at some point? Oh shit, I got to get all this out of my head and on paper. Coming up next time on Colony Confidential. We're going to have a very unique opportunity with all these big box stores cutting back and shutting down. If you think about the Century 21s, the Lord and Taylors, Macy scaling back, all these retail operations scaling back is a great opportunity for you and I, because here you have people that work shit hours. They work every holiday and they're gonna be out of work. And by the way, most of them got paid shit money. 